Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vorey's IP VIP podcast. My name is Jeremy Harrison, and I will be your host for this episode. Today, we're speaking with Aaron Williams, who is an associate in the Cleveland office of Vorey's Seder Seymour and Peace. As we recently closed out 2021, I invited Aaron onto the podcast to discuss some intellectual property cases litigated during 2021, and also to highlight the intellectual property docket of the U.S. Supreme Court. Aaron will discuss various trademark, copyright, and patent cases that were at the forefront during 2021. And now, here's my conversation with Aaron. Today, we're speaking with Aaron Williams, who is an associate in the Cleveland office of Boris Sater, Seymour and Peace. He's also a member of the litigation group. His practice focuses on representing clients in connection with the defense or prosecution of their intellectual property rights, including cases involving trade secrets, patent and trademark infringement, and non-competition agreements. Aaron received his law degree from the University of Virginia School of Law. He also received his bachelor's magna cum laude from Dickinson College. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. Well, as of the date of this recording of this podcast, we're closing in on the end of 2021. We're looking forward to 2022. And I've invited Aaron onto the podcast today to discuss some of the highlights of the U.S. Supreme Court's intellectual property docket for this past year, for the year 2021. And 2021 was indeed a busy year for intellectual property practitioners. And uh, with that, let's get into it, Aaron. I'd like to start, if we can, with the, the soft IP side of it. Let's jump into trademarks first. What happened in 2021 with trademarks, and is 2022 looking any better? Yeah, so um, in 2021, we actually didn't have any cases that the Supreme Court decided. In 2022, there are currently no cases pending, which is somewhat of a disappointment. But I think there were some interesting cases that the Supreme Court passed on last year in the area of trademarks, you know, first is the case of Slut Comfort v. Baxter, which is an initial interest confusion case. So for those who aren't familiar with the doctrine, initial interest confusion permits a uh, finding of infringement because of a temporary misunderstanding by consumers before they purchase a good, even if they end up purchasing the right good. It's a, a doctrine that's been gaining steam within the circuit courts. And uh, this Slut Comfort v. Baxter case came out of the Eighth Circuit in 2021 and um, is joined all but three circuits that recognize the doctrine. So oh. it's gaining steam. The Supreme Court hasn't weighed in on the doctrine yet, but uh, it's something to keep an eye on in the future, but also to think about as you're planning out your litigation strategy and where you might be bringing a lawsuit if you have the option to do so in a, in a jurisdiction that recognizes the doctrine. Right. So that and, one was denied. So there, there, I, I, I think there was another one, a parody case, correct? Yes. Yeah, so our case involving Jack Daniels and dog toys. Uh, so this company created a dog toy called Bad Spaniels, and it was a squeaky dog toy that looked like a Jack Daniels bottle. And so the, the company claimed as you know, a parody and said that it was an expressive work protected by the First Amendment and therefore not subject to prosecution under the Lanham Act. And the Ninth Circuit agreed. And so it's an interesting case. Uh, there were a number of amicus briefs filed with this petition. And the concern is, and it was a concern shared by Jack Daniels as well, that the ruling is going to enable infringers to evade the Lanham Act just by citing humor. You know, when it comes to expressive works, you know, the First Amendment provides very strong protections. And if those protections can be invoked just based on, you know, this is funny, that's something that's going to potentially tarnish marks that the companies hold in, in high esteem. So the, the Supreme Court decided not to take the case. And so it's something to keep an eye on whether uh, this expressive work based on humor is something that catches on in more than just the Ninth Circuit. Right, right. So let's switch gears to the other side of soft IP here about, about, about copyrights. What was the highlight in 2021 for copyright? 
So the the big case, the one that everyone was waiting on, a holdover from 2020 actually, is the Google v. Oracle uh, copyright decision involving fair use of Java source code. It was the first fair use doctrine case by the Supreme Court in like 25 years. So highly anticipated decision. For those of you who who aren't familiar with the case, Google had copied portions of source code developed by Oracle. There were these pre-packaged programming interfaces that Google copied to allow its programmers to have a common language in developing its Android smartphones. Oracle said these packets that, that Google copied were copyright protected. Google argued that its copying was protected under the fair use doctrine and, and the Supreme Court sided with Google. You know, there are a number of, of factual considerations in these fair use cases. The one that I think is probably the most applicable to our listeners and when considering fair use was this factor the court focused on, which the court seemed to think was most relevant, which is the court found that Google wanted to make their Android platform attractive to programmers who were already familiar with Java programming. And so they weren't copying the the source code to gain some sort of advantage in the marketplace, but rather to make it easier for its programmers to develop a new technology. And so that that was something that the court seemed to focus on and is a factual consideration to keep in mind if you're considering whether or not your use of copyright is protected under the fair use doctrine or not. Yeah. And there's already a follow-up to Google v. Oracle, right? Pending cert in 2022, right? Yeah, so there's this really interesting case coming up. It's the Andy Warhol Foundation versus Goldsmith. And it involves, for those of you who are familiar with Andy Warhol's works, his print series of photographs, which he did his, what I'll refer to as his Andy Warholism of four photographs taken by Lynn Goldsmith. Um, And basically, uh, Andy Warhol's um, counsel has argued that the Second Circuit's application of fair use conflicts with both the Google decision that just came out as well as the Supreme Court's prior case law on fair use. The issue is that Supreme Court said that Andy Warhol's print series was not transformative fair use of a copyrighted photograph because Warhol's work, quote, retained the essential elements of the source material, but was not, quote, fundamentally different and new, which I think if if you're familiar with how Andy Warhol works, you know, he, he takes images, the, the Campbell soup can, I think it was, right, and changes the colors around right. with his impressionist style. And um, the court found that his use of these photographs didn't change the essential quality of the initial work, which is not, the issue is whether or not that's actually the test or not. His, his counsel's arguing it's not. Um, and we'll see if, if the Supreme Court takes it up to, to explain what the actual test is. Right. And, and you mentioned that you know, it was 25 years before we'd heard a, a copyright fair use case until Google Oracle. And now we got two in the same year, the Andy Warhol case. That's that's pretty impressive. Uh, you see a trend here? What, what is the deal here? You know, I don't necessarily know if there will be a trend of these cases. I think there's always, especially with the internet now, it makes copyright images much easier to obtain than we might have had previously. I think one of the, the things that we might see in copyright space or, or IP in general is use by public entities and the, the sovereign immunity aspect of that. There's another case coming up that's pending cert this year, which is called Jim Olive Photography versus the University of Houston. It's a takings case out of the Texas Supreme Court. 
And it's the second sovereign immunity type challenge to intellectual property infringement that we've we've seen before the Supreme Court in three years. Prior decision in 2020 involved was a case called Allen v. Cooper, which involved the Supreme Court striking down the Copyright Remedy Classification Act, which allowed for copyright infringers to sue public institutions who have sovereign immunity uh, for copyright infringement. They struck it down not because Congress doesn't have the inability to take away sovereign immunity, but just that Congress didn't do it correctly. One of the interesting things they said in that Alan D. Cooper case, and it'll be interesting to see if they take up this Jim Olive photography case, is the court indicated that Congress should be able, if necessary, to enact a reasonably tailored statute capable of passing constitutional muster, which effectively stops states from behaving as intellectual property pirates, literally called them pirates, and said, even while respecting constitutional limits, it can bring digital blackbeards to justice. Now, that was somewhat of a play on words because the Alan B. Cooper case involved the photography of, of Blackbeard, uh, his sunken treasure, I believe, off the coast of the Outer Banks. Um, and so they, they had a, a little play on words with pirates and, and Blackbeard. But I think the point comes across, right, is that the court doesn't really find this funny that public institutions are, are sort of relying on, on their sovereign immunity to get away with these things. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we see you know, either some additional cases kind of challenging this area of the law or Congress at some point decides we're going to try to reenact something along the lines of the, the Copyright Remedy Classification Act or the Patent Remedy Act, which had previously provided a similar protection but had been struck down. Right. So the court essentially is, I wouldn't say they're punting, but they're, they're saying, listen, this isn't my issue. This is the issue for the legislature. This needs to be, needs to be done in the proper channels. Correct. Yeah. And I think there, you know, without going into sort of the, the constitutional aspects of the differences between state and federal powers and abrogating state sovereign immunity, the Supreme Court's basically saying, you know, what you wanted to accomplish is fine. You just didn't do it procedurally or constitutionally cor correctly. Um, and so, you know, it's it's telling Congress that if you want to achieve this, you can. You just need to do it in the proper way. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good. Well, um, let's make a transition to patents. 2021 was a busy year for the for the Supreme Court for the patent docket. So what do you think are some of the larger ones that we should get a summary? Sure. So I think both of the cases that were decided in, in 2021 still dance around the edges of, of the soft IP issues. The court didn't dive into real technical patent issues. The big case that everyone was waiting for was the US v. Arthrex decision which involved the constitutionality of the Patent uh, Trial and Appeals Board. The, the issue in that case, for those of you unfamiliar with it, it was Arthrex questioned the constitutionality of PTAB judges. The Federal Circuit agreed with that, finding that PTAB judges were principal officers and were required to be appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. So when, when this Federal Circuit ruling came out, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty with patent practitioners and prosecuting attorneys as to, you know, what was going to happen to the USPTO and the PTAB and, and how are all of these cases going to be decided? Would the Supreme Court completely upend the system we're, we're all used to playing in? And, you know, not to kind of get into all of the, the appointment clause issues that the court grappled with, but basically the Supreme Court said, no, it, 
it's okay. All you have to do is just make the, the PTAB judge's decisions reviewable by the director of the patent office, who is appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate to avoid all these issues. So there was a lot of buildup to the case, but you know, ultimately not a whole lot changed other than you know, these decisions are now reviewable by the director, whereas they, they previously weren't necessarily. It's my understanding at this point that the director has denied review of several of them up to now, correct? That, that's correct. And so it'll be interesting to see now, you know, that as time goes on, how the director uses his authority in this case, what the threshold is and, and, and what kind of tea leaves we can glean from to find out, you know, when are these cases going to be, be reviewable or reviewed? And, and yeah. Not. yeah. Yeah, this is a, that was a pretty big case for a lot of people that uh, lost patent rights because of what PTAB did. Yep. So a lot of people were keeping an eye on that. The interesting development. Let's yep. switch gears. What about the, the Minerva case? Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. So uh, Minerva Surgical versus Hologic Incorporated was another case that the Supreme Court decided in 2021. It involves what's called the Assigner Estoppel Doctrine in patent law, which basically the doctrine bars a patent assigner from later attacking the validity of, of the patent it assigned in future litigation. So the fact pattern that often arises and which arose in this case was uh, a patentee assigns his patent rights regarding an invention to someone else. The, the patentee then goes off and starts a new company, develops a product that's similar to or a build, build upon what he had previously assigned, and then he gets sued for patent infringement and, and tries to attack as a defense the validity of the patent rights that he had previously assigned to, to the now patent holder. That's what happened in this case. And, and when that fact pattern played out, uh, the district court ruled that the patent assigner in this case wasn't allowed to attack the validity of the patent. That decision got appealed up to the Supreme Court and the court ultimately upheld the doctrine of assigner estoppel, but put in a new limitation to the doctrine, which is that the doctrine only applies when the assigner's claim of invalidity contradicts an explicit or implicit representation the assigner made when assigning the patent. If such a representation is absent, the doctrine does not apply. So I think from a, from a practical standpoint, you know, when, when we're looking at you know, something, if we were counseling a client right, or, or looking at an agreement, we want to, those, those reps and warranties that get put in the assignment and sometimes can be sort of boilerplate depending on who's negotiating it, those can have impacts down the road, particularly if you end up in litigation with the person who assigned you those IP rights to begin with. All right. Well, we're coming up close to the end of, uh, of our podcast time here, but I, I did want you, to, want you to take the next few minutes and kind of give us an overview of what you foresee for 2022. I know there's several cases that are pending, so why don't you give us a download in the next few minutes uh, about what's on, on the, uh, the menu, I guess. Sure. So there's actually five patent cases that are currently pending cert for the 2022 term. Two I can touch on real quick, and there's a, another group that I think gets into to a more meaty issue that we're all hoping for. So there's a, an Amgen uh, Incorporated versus Sonify case, which deals with enablement in genus antibody claims in the pharmaceutical context. That case basically is the federal circuit ruled that um, if it takes too much effort to figure out all the combinations, the, the patent claims aren't enabled by the specification. So that issue's up on potentially from the Supreme Court this year. Another piece of litigation involving when a plaintiff can sue customers of a, a manufacturer 
when uh, for patent infringement when they've previously been in litigation with the manufacturer. That involves a, a doctrine called the Kessler Doctrine, which involves issues similar to issue and claim preclusion. But I think that the bigger issue that we're all hoping the Supreme Court's going to tackle in 2022, which is the same issue we've been hoping the Supreme Court would tackle in 2021 and 2020, is uh, issue of patent eligibility under the Alice two-step test. Uh, there's actually three cases this year pending cert that all involve patent eligibility in different aspects. American Axle, which uh, has been kicked around for about the last year and a half, the federal circuit declined to hear the case on banc. And so the appeals now pending cert in front of the Supreme Court, which deals with whether a method to reduce noise and vibrations and drive shafts were a mere application of natural law and therefore patent ineligible. There's another case, uh, Witzer v. Dropbox, which again involves kind of more litigation strategy, what burden of evidence or quantum of evidence, excuse me, is necessary to succeed in declaring a patent invalid at the pleading stage of litigation. And then there's a third case, UV Apple, which stems from the federal circuit split panel decision this summer in, in UV Apple, which applied the Mayo Alice two-step test. And the question is whether the majority departed from the as a whole claim analysis that was previously required and whether they've conflated novelty and patent eligibility in applying that test. So as patent practitioners and litigators, we've been hoping for some further clarity on patent eligibility and, and what is patent eligible subject matter. And hopefully with one of these three cases, we'll, we'll get some, some clarity here in 2022. Yeah, I, I second that motion. I'm a mechanical engineer by background. And when I get a section 101 abstract idea rejection from the patent office, sometimes I'm scratching my head saying, what is going on? Yep. So yes, clarification is, is a much you know, needed, I would say, but, but, but it'd be very welcome for the, for the patent community in the United States. But Aaron, this has been a very enlightening conversation. Uh, we look forward to seeing how some of these cases will unfold in 2022. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. And I do hope we can reconvene maybe at the end of 2022 to discuss what happened. Sounds great. Thanks, Jeremy, for having me. Yeah, thanks for your time. This has been an episode of the Vori's IP VIP podcast. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to speak to either myself or any of the guests, please feel free to reach out to us. You can contact us through Vori's website or via the Vori's Intellectual Property Updates webpage on LinkedIn. If you have a suggestion for a podcast topic or would like to recommend a particular guest, we'd love to hear from you. My name is Jeremy Harrison, and I hope you can join us next time.